Well, hello and welcome to the Let's Be Clear podcast series. Today, I'm absolutely delighted to be welcoming Joanne Lockwood, inclusion and belonging specialist working globally with organisations and particularly organisations who pride themselves on valuing their people. We share a passion around inclusive hiring processes, Joanne, so I'm sure that's going to come out as part of our discussion today. And we're going to be talking about the impact on different people through this COVID pandemic, coming out of this COVID pandemic and what the new normal might look like in in terms of impacting all of us to ensure we create an inclusive society to return to. So Joanne, just a couple of words from you, if I may, in terms of your thoughts and your passions around inclusion and why you feel that it's important for us to talk about the impact this pandemic is having on, on, on different people. Yeah. Hi, Kate. It's uh, it's great to be here today and talking to you about this. We all know the pandemic has been with us most of 2020. And we've all been on this journey. And uh, we often talk about this being in the same storm, but on different boats. And we've all had a different experience. And so I, I think now more than ever, I, I see people getting fatigued by it and tired by it. So there's a lot of things going on now where people are kind of breaking the rules, wondering when to go back to work, employers are going where it's okay, we've got all our screens up. We've got sanitizer everywhere. We'll be okay. But there's still a lot of anxiety out there. There's a lot of people who are scared to be bunt to go back to work, whether that's they have to commute on the bus, catch the train. They may be shielding because they've got loved ones who are vulnerable. Maybe they're vulnerable themselves. And so there's this huge anxiety. And I, and I think employers need to still think about the employee well-being and how their people are experiencing this, this COVID. Even as we come out of lockdown or, or, or the vaccines on the horizon, there's, there's a whole load of challenges of with that that we're going to talk about in a minute no doubt yeah i mean i absolutely agree with you it's quite interesting isn't it because we've got in my experience we've got people who are very anxious about not being in the workplace we've got people who are very anxious about the security of their work and obviously we've had recent news with arcadia group as another major negative milestone um, from this pandemic and we've got people who are anxious about the fact that they may have to be asked to go back to work because actually they've slipped into you know a, a sort of unpremeditated comfort zone of security staying at home and there's all those different complexities and there's also there's there's a lot of discussion as well um, Joanne at the moment isn't there about the impact on women you know have we taken back on our traditional role have we pushed the agenda back but there's also lots of talk about that it's been very freeing and very enabling and empowering having a virtual world to work in for people who found the office space and the commute to work and the crowds disempowering I suppose what are your thoughts on that you know who's coming out of this you know jumping for joy and and, and enjoying it and and who's having perhaps a more challenging journey do you think well I think people with kind of an entrepreneurial spirit in, in some respects I mean there are some obvious winners in terms of people who are traditionally online so there's some of the retailers uh some of the essential retailers food are definitely coming out on top. People who are working in internet connections, hosting, Zoom is a great winner of this, uh, and the technologies around remote speaking, remote delivery, they're all winners. But you know, we know that coffee shops, pubs, the entertainment industry, high street retail, big brands that haven't maybe adopted as well as they, or adapted as well as they could to the online model are suffering badly. And that, that knocks on to a lot of people of, of, of lower income. I and mean, we know that those industries traditionally have people of lower income. And disproportionately, those people tend to be women or tend to be people who are intersectional ethnic minorities, uh, people from underrepresented communities. So we know that they, those people have been disproportionately affected. So I'd say that you know, the, the incumbent 
privileged people in society are probably doing okay or better whereas the people who are dependent on that you know many women working in beauty in cleaning roles in, in coffee shops and, and restaurants and things nightclubs and bars and without being generalist and sexist here that is the typical role that many women face and we've got to remember that in many households that income is necessary to prop up and support the family and maybe the that the partner also is, is struggling maybe their bonuses are gone their sales have gone so it is in fact imp impacting a lot of people and I, I, I'm really keen you know being in the DNI space not to generalize not to create these new kind of beliefs and I, and I think what we have to do is look behind the the obvious feelings and say well actually this be person-centric because we can't we can't say that all women are affected we just know that statistically women are more likely to be more affected. I agree with you I mean statistically there is that sense because of the nature of the roles that are affected the fact that we become you know domiciliary again I suppose but equally I, I've got a sense that it's affecting people differently I suppose in terms of this not being in work part of my role as you know is I interview ex-co members regularly as part of our audit practice and I, I, I found it actually quite refreshing the level of openness I'm getting from talking to CEOs about you know the impact on their mental health of not being you know in in that role in that office and I think we have to retain sight of you know our senior colleagues as well and the impact it's having on them but one thing I particularly wanted to talk to you about Joanne was that when we last met and I think it was a webinar invariably we were talking particularly about you know colleagues who are from the LGBTQ plus community and the very specific impact that's having on people who have, have lost some of their face-to-face -face networking context and, and are actually at home where that might not be their most comfortable space. You know, what are your views on that? Because that was a few months ago. Have you any more insights in terms of that? I, again, without generalising, yes, as I said on that webinar, it, it does impact LGBT people in a in a maybe a different way to some other people in terms of if they're not fully accepted in the home environment um they, they can't be themselves some often lgbt people live in isolation maybe they're away from their family maybe they've been rejected in the past maybe they rely on that contact going out meeting people so certainly trans people there's many trans people who aren't out or open or accepted at home this is a very tight environment for them maybe they are out at work but not at home that creates another problem but how do they how, how can they be at work remotely when they can't be themselves at home and that, that's another another challenge so yes it, it, it does have a, an impact on uh, on lgbt people the mental health often by socializing by meeting each other that's that's a support network there's been no pride this year there's been no opportunity to sort of get together and talk but I know many LGBT people who are moving online in Facebook groups, having Zoom coffees and chats and, and supporting each other in that way. So I think like every community, we're, we're adapting and, and reinventing. But I think the, the challenges are it, it's maybe hard. You need some respite when you're, when you're living in, a, in an environment where it is not necessarily you are able to be yourself. And that, that, that's the challenge. And, and the extra layer of stress on top of the stress that we're all experiencing at the moment as well, definitely. I mean, you mentioned there about reinventing ourselves, really, and I think that's happening to a lot of people during this pandemic. And I know, Joanne, that you know, you're know you a DNI expert and you're advising and empowering organisations on, on, on a really great scale now. But in, a, in your previous career, you, you're an IT expert, you're an IT guru, which always puts me completely to shame. And I know that you particularly have done quite a lot of interesting and innovative stuff using this lockdown opportunity to communicate with people in a different way. Uh, you know, your podcast series, for example, is just fantastic. I wondered if you could share a little bit with us about, you know, 
know, where that came from and, and how that's impacting for people and how people can access it as well. Yeah, for sure. I, I must have had some sort of 2020 vision back in December last year because I, I kind of sat down and thought to myself, what did I want to do this year? And I realized I was flying around the world a lot and I was speaking at conferences and I was spending a lot of money and not getting huge returns. So I, I already decided that I wanted to do less conference speaking for no fee or low fee and, and do more kind of online coaching and mentoring. And I, one of the targets I had to myself was launch a podcast and a newsletter and, and do more online stuff. So I'd already bought my camera and some microphones and, and, and some, some gear at Christmas time last year, you know, the, the Amazon sales. And so <laughs> I was, I was kind of already geared up for this. So in February, I was already, I just launched my podcast then and it's, it's called Inclusion Bytes, B-I-T-E-S. And if you search for that on iTunes, Spotify, the usual places, you'll find Inclusion Bytes. You, you can tell you've got the right one because it's a, a pair of comedy teeth. <laughs> Uh, red red teeth on, on, on the cover. So the B-I-T-E-S bites is the, is the teeth. The object of it was really just to, to promote inclusion at the core, well-being. And it's not about a DNI podcast. It's about people telling their stories, some relatable stuff, and asking their opinion from different cross-sections of society, their thoughts on how they want to help the world thrive and survive in a, in a more inclusive way. I mean, it's just fantastic. And I, I think as well, it's another, it, it's a great example of the fact that, you know, in the DNI space and in the wellbeing, belonging, inclusion space, of, of, it doesn't have to be heavy deal. We are increasingly good at making things accessible, making them light, you know, having a, a, an honest conversation. We can have a tear, we can have a smile and all of that. We're, we're sort of increasingly giving ourselves permission to, to have a dialogue in that way, aren't we? I mean, I want to talk to you about the vaccines in a minute. You've already raised that. But just before we move on to that, because that obviously is the next phase of opportunity and challenge, let, let's just leave it hanging there for a moment. But in terms of your opinions, Joanne, of, of this last eight months, you know, what, what would be your biggest takes in terms of what our audience needs to be thinking about now to ensure that they are including and, and ensuring the well-being of those around them in society and family and work, you know, all of those different contexts. I, I still say the same thing as I was saying back in March. Don't assume people are okay. Well-being, mental health, impact on people is so unique, so intersectional based on their own personal lived experience, the family grouping, the job they're in their access to broadband, their access to working at home space. There's so many dynamics that I think we need to think about people as people, you know, we've got to think about individuals. And this goes across the board. I mean, you already mentioned that CEOs had their own anxiety, that maybe they were in this position of power, their business was ticking along nicely, they had good sales figures, and they've had to suddenly react. They've lost their bonuses, maybe. They've lost. They've had to lay staff off. They've had to change the way they're working. So no one's got it easy wherever they are in the business. And, the, and even businesses that are flat out have got their own strategies to cope with, the other pressures of work, the hiring at scale or reinventing the product lines. Uh, because in, also we talk, we've talked about Black Lives Matter, so we've got anti-racism works going on along with mental health, wellness. There's st still a lot of stuff. And DNI has hit the radar this year Whereas people before, I think, had kind of parked and gone, oh, it's not strategic. But I think one of the things I often see is people mistaking DNI as being this kind of this thing on a shelf, you know, it's this nebulous thing. But it's, 
I, I actually think it affects all, all areas of the business. It's around employee well-being. It's about product design. It's about customer experience. It's about engaging with, with people in your organization in an inclusive way. I, I don't just think it about as anti-racism or, or LGBT or gender. It's far more than that. It's, it's about how we bring the corporate branding. Who are you? What do you stand for? Your environmental credentials, your sustainability credentials, all that comes into inclusion and well-being to me and making people feel valued. I agree with you. And it's interesting because increasingly on conversations from a diversity and inclusion perspective, sustainability, well-being, environmental, you know, our carbon footprint, all of these other aspects that, that are about basically a values-based organisation that's got, that's got a responsibility uh, are increasingly part of the conversation. And I think we're under a lot more scrutiny. There's something really weird happened. I can't think of a different word. But there's something really weird happened as a result of the, the pandemic and, and the home working and the way that we're communicating with each other and, and what we're communicating about that's created some kind of transparency that's put everybody under scrutiny. And I also think it's wobbled the boundaries between employment and our life outside of work because you know you can't wave bye-bye to somebody as they leave the office they're kind of you know as an employer they're your responsibility and all of the impacts that the whole societal change is having on them how much of that is your responsibility as well because you know nobody else is picking it up you, you know we've got to pick it up collectively haven't we um, and we, mm. we've certainly in increasingly found that and one of the things that we've been talking about, actually, is it's interesting because obviously we are a DNI consultancy and that's kind of my day job. And also uh, the Recruitment Industry Disability Initiative, which I know you've supported as well, Joanne. But we are so busy and we've had to look really carefully at ourselves to make sure that we're being inclusive and supportive. Because as a consultancy, when do you take the step to increase your headcount when you in, in normal times, you know, you'd have done it six months earlier? but you're hanging on just that little bit longer, which puts everybody under pressure. And you've got people with school-aged kids working for you. You've got people who've got caring responsibilities who haven't seen their grandparents, whose support network's just, you know, disintegrated. And all of that backdrop means that I would agree with what you said earlier. You have to talk to everybody on an individual basis all the time, whilst actually as a leader, managing your own individual pressures and challenges and strains and try not to allow those to go down into the organisation as well. It's been, as you know, I'm in, I'm, I'm in my late 50s and I've been working a very long time and I've never worked in this context where I've had to manage my own behaviour to such an extreme way, I think, and, and manage those stresses. It's, um, it's kind of all consuming, isn't it, really? Mm -hmm. And then we've got this great is it all going to end? Because, you know, obviously COVID's going home for Christmas, um, which is really kind, um, so that we can all go out. And then we're all going to be vaccinated, unless, of course, you're autoimmune deficient or you've got some other kind of medical condition, which means that you can't actually have the vaccine. So you're even more isolated as a, quote, vulnerable shielder than you were before. But what what's your thought in terms of the impact of this, because it's causing a lot of talk, isn't it? And, and, and potentially quite a lot of divisive talk. And we've been here before around vaccines. What do we think in terms of our well-being messages that, that we need to be sort of sorting out now? Yeah, I, I think one of the things that's happened in the DNI space over the last couple of years is this rise of popularism and uh, and this kind of populist opinions, whether it's Brexit, whether it's political, red or blue, this side of the channel, the other side of the Atlantic, all this kind of things have come up and the inclusion has been about allowing people to be included in their opinions around politics and, and the space, environmental, whatever it may be. And I think the vaccine is another another area we're going to be talking about. So anti-vaccine was kind of 
bubbling around in the background. It's now coming to the surface where people are now having a voice on Facebook about I won't be vaccinated, I will be vaccinated. So we're getting another Brexit remain polarised view of, 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 of vaccines now. And what worries me is we're going to have people in the office who are passionate about vaccines and people in the office who are passionate anti-vaccine for whatever reason. And I, I don't want to judge which is right or which is wrong. But we've got an issue there where what do we do? There's even already talk about maybe building it into the NHS app, it, certainly in England. I'm not sure about Scotland or Wales or Northern Ireland, but certainly in England about flagging whether you have been vaccinated. Could we be in a situation where you can't go to the cinema, you can't go to a restaurant, you can't go to an enclosed space unless you've got your vaccine passport? And then what do employers do? You've got an environment where one or two people have a T-shirt wearing anti-vaxxers, which is their, their right. Or it may be they're, they're, they're non-vaxxers because they can't be, because they're allergic to egg, they've got autoimmune, as you mentioned. In the same way, we've got mask wearers are now being demonised on trains and tubes and people are getting into fights because they can't wear a mask. So we're creating another division in society. And I think employers need to be hyper aware of how their culture works. What do they do? Do they segregate people who are vaccinated, non-vaccinated? Do they insist that people who are not vaccinated wear masks and sit in a glass screen? Do we treat them as lepers? How do, how do we bring them in? How do we make them feel loved and respected? But if we accept that it's someone's human right not to be vaccinated, in the same way as someone's right not to associate yourself with someone who hasn't been vaccinated, if you have, it's a very complex situation. And I'm, I'm worried that we're bouncing into another divided society, polarising issue here. And employers have got a lot, lot to work on. Transport companies have got a lot to work on. Infrastructure has got a lot to work on here. And it's, I, ha I haven't got clarity myself yet, but I know it's something we need to talk about. It's interesting when you say, you know, we need to be aware, the term used was hyper aware of how the culture works. So that's something that organisations need to be hyper aware of how your culture works, because we've got these polarised opinions coming in. And I'm reflecting as I'm listening to you there, Joanne, about the, you know, I, I worked in HR during the miners strike. That's, yeah, that's how old I am. And, um, and that was the most, I mean, it was certainly a very steep learning curve for somebody in their early 20s in a, in a pretty senior HR role doing that in Yorkshire you know, where you've got wives of policemen, you've got wives of working miners, you've got wives of non-working miners all sharing a catering area and it got pretty hairy, I can tell you. And, you know, we definitely learned a lot then about how to, in your terms, become hyper aware of how your culture works and, and what was acceptable behaviour and values within the confines of work. You know, people's opinions and behaviours, as long as they don't obviously detract from the values of the brand outside of work, that's up to them. But in work, we have to have an opinion and we have to mm. set some ground rules and, and respect each other's views, as we do in any other aspect of diversity, where people feel comfortable with some things and uncomfortable with others. They have to be accepting of people's difference at work. And this is another one of them. Hmm. I mean, if you've got staff who are unable to be vaccinated or, or are not wanted to be vaccinated and they're in a, in a field service role, they're a customer facing role, what do you do? Are you protecting your customers? Could you send a, a, someone in someone's home to repair their dishwasher if they hadn't been vaccinated? Do you have to declare that this person is potentially, well, A, they could be more vulnerable as a person who hasn't been vaccinated to, to someone in that home. They could pick it up more easily. There's a whole load of things that I think we need to think about. And it's it goes beyond the minor strike where it's about opinions and strong opinions mm -hmm. and division that way we're actually talking about not only that so health and wellness of the individual yeah, of course and the people they come in contact with absolutely and i, I mentioned to you earlier that you know as, as a family uh, we've been shielding and, and that's that's brought its complexities because 
people who are healthy, haven't been impacted by COVID in any way, have got more and more relaxed, I suppose, about what the rules might be interpreted as being. And, and, and that can be very isolating if you're in, a, in an environment where you can't relax to the same extent. And I think employers also have to be thinking now about individuals fears and, and concerns, you know, where, where they've been, as I say, you know, working from home or, or not working from home, as the case may be, for some considerable time now. So there's lots of challenges, lots of things to think about. And, you know, I'm, I'm sure we're going to get some great examples of best practice to share, some things that light bulb moments for people that we can we can share amongst our, our wider community. It's interesting, you know, even in a pandemic, we get positive stories, don't we? And, and positive impacts of people, you know, to your word, reinventing themselves, John. And it'd be interesting just to discuss with you, you mentioned earlier about the entrepreneur. So, so your view on, you know, the emergence of the entrepreneur and people doing something different. I think the words you used before we came on, on air was, if what you're doing doesn't work now, then you need to think about doing something different. Any examples or thoughts on that that we can we can share? Some sort of light relief, if you like, of some positive outcomes of, of what's been happening. You know, we can find them. We're British. We can find them. <laughs> oh, oh, completely. And I mean, if, I, if I speak through my own lens of what I see, I'm now working with people on a global basis. I can be in Australia in 10 minutes, in a kind of, I could be online and time zone are less, are less relevant. If someone says, oh, we're doing the, we need you online at three o'clock in the morning. I go, okay, I'll either not go to bed and, and work through or I'll get up early and, and deliver and have a nap afterwards. And so I could be in Australia in the morning and San Francisco in the afternoon. And so my, my market or, or the people I can talk to has grown. And even if you just took that on a UK basis, you, you can now deliver services. I, I'm delivering training, consulting, mentoring to people all over the UK. And those people all over the UK often are in organizations, but we haven't got to bring people together. We can deliver online. So it means that people are far more ready to engage in services because there's no cost of a meeting anymore. We're not trying to fit people's diaries. We can all make ourselves available. I was delivering a training course to a, a local council, uh, to their elected members and their elected politicians. And I delivered this in the evening to them. And one of the remarks one of the senior councillors at the end said was that this was fantastic. They could all get this training in the evening from their own home after their evening meal, after their dinner, and, and have this enrichment in their lives without having to travel in for two hours sitting in a boring meeting on uncomfortable chairs, why can't they do more of this? So I think people are now waking up to the idea that they can use this opportunity to, to, to come together and get some great engagement, training, whatever that may be, or even discussions and workshops, whatever we do, with this new medium at different times of the day. And I, I think hopefully what I'd like to see is, is, is breaking this nine to five paradigm and saying, actually, what we need to do is we need to pick up the chunks of people as we need them. I have a chunk of you here, I have a chunk of you here. And if you say, look, the best time to do this is, is six o'clock in the evening, which is to acknowledge that there has to be a, a give somewhere else in the day. We don't work nine hours and six in the evening. Yeah. We, we, we start later, we have a, a big a big siesta or whatever we want to call it, uh, and we break it up. But then we've also got to think about the impact of the home life and the family. And, and I also talk to a lot of people who have, this has given them an opportunity to, to spend more time with their children. I speak to many male friends who are spending time with their children they never would have had before. So this is an immense positive. 
And they don't want to go back. They want to do the school run. They want to do breakfast. They want to do lunch. So I think if you think about positive impact, it ha it's having a real positive impact in young families and allowing men to be to be to be fathers or or whoever in whatever parent family you are. It allows both people to be active parents in these relationships. I love that. And that's such a, a warm heart. It was a heartwarming reflection, isn't it? And it's something again that I've personally experienced as well with 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 friends who who have been um, perhaps uh, non-working mums whose husbands have had global roles and now they're sharing the parenting and the family and we get photographs of the family teas you know the kids you know have helped to cook mm. and all of that proper family values coming back in which I think yeah I, I think that's a real positive that I've definitely observed as well and the flexibility I like as well in terms of, you know, a meeting to suit you, that the challenges, and I think we're all learning and we're getting better at it, the whole Zoom, Teams, podcast, da -da -da, back to back, and suddenly you realise that, you know, you've not left your desk and, and when you try and stand up, your knees won't bend in the middle. So I, I think we're getting, <laughs> we're getting much better at building in those those gaps. And I think, you know, you know my message to our listeners is, and I, I've sort of sown this seed in a few of the podcast series so far is, but, you know, I'm going to get firmer about it, is we have to build those gaps in the problem we've got is that because everybody's at home at the moment and we're all working remotely and online the assumption is if you've not got a meeting in your diary you are therefore available so you've got no life other than sat in front of your laptop and I think for some people you need time away from your laptop massively for other people what we've come across as well Joan I don't know if you've if, if you've come across this is people who are living on their own who, who historically work in a team and predominantly around younger people we've come across this particularly it's applicable more broadly though is they leave their laptop on open on teams or zoom and just crack on with their day and, and as they would if somebody was in an office sitting on a desk across the room from them so they'll be cracking on with the day go make a cup of tea walk the dogs come back in and then say oh i'm just working on such and such for so and so has anybody got a view and we're seeing more of that happening, which I think, mm. I think, and I think there's going to be technology changes, of course, that will support that much better. Because the other thing that strikes me is the only way we can communicate at the moment is sat in front of your laptop. I don't know whether we're going to be wandering around with webcams on our, our heads like we have when we're, we're, I'm, I'm we have got mobile phones. We have got mobile yeah, phones. So you have to hold those. But when we go on the bike, you know, we've yeah. got a webcam on the helmet. You know, I don't know whether that's yeah. something we can do around that. But yeah, for some people, they need to get away from the screen. For some people, they need yeah, that well, openness. I, I'm of that generation where I remember Filofaxes. And, yes, uh, me too. Yeah. I've still got one. Yeah, <laughs> the uppy the 80s sort of thing. And I, I, I went on some a, a TMI was it Time Management International? I think they were called, but they used to run these time management courses. Uh, and you, at the end of the course, you got yourself a free file of facts with with the course. They taught you how to time manage. And one of the things you, know, you pick up from that is is making sure you book meetings with yourself, book space in your diary, so that it doesn't look like you're free. I used an online diary tool, so I, I, I freely hand out my calendar link to get people to book meetings when it suits. And the only way I can do that is I have to put block time out in my diary and say, right, I need that morning, I need that afternoon, I've got to, I've got to wrap time, I've got to, I've got to do some work, I've got to produce something. So I'll, I'll put work gaps in my diary and I'll create personal gaps in my diary. So if I, if I want to go and do something, I'll, I'll put a block. And I, I, I deliberately set my calendar up so you can't book me before 10 o'clock on a Monday morning and after three on a Friday. I deliberately set that up so that I know that I've, I haven't got to have a quick, an early start on a Monday or a late finish on a Friday. I've got time out, yeah. I mean, talking of time management, we need to wrap this up in a moment, but you've just really struck me with something because, of course, the way most corporate organisations are working now is open diary management. So it isn't about 
allowing slots so that people can choose them. It's the total transparency about what you're doing and when you're doing it, because anybody can go into your diary. So maybe there is another way, which I quite like. But in the interest of time, we have run out of time. It's been absolutely fantastic, as always, talking to you, Joanne. And as you say, if anybody wants to find your podcast series, tell our viewers again, yeah, our listeners so again. It's, it's Inclusion Bites, B-I-T-S. If you Google that on or Apple, iTunes, Spotify, Deezer, if all of the major channels I, I've registered with. So look out for the red the red plastic teeth Perfect. Uh, with a little mini me on top. Uh, I also have a newsletter. So if you'd like to sign that up for that, it's called Inclusion Bites Spotlight. It goes out weekly on a Thursday. And it, it, it shines a spotlight on interesting topics around DNI. So please sign up for that. So go to my website, cchangehappen.co.uk. That's S-E-E, changehappen.co.uk, forward slash spotlight. And you can see the back issues and register if you want to get a newsletter. So love, love to have you on the list. Thank you. Well, I can only encourage people who are listening to get involved, definitely. And from the Clear Company podcast series as well. So the Let's Be Clear podcast series can be found on most podcast platforms, including Spotify and Google. Podcasts and captioned versions are available on our YouTube channel at The Clear Company. So thanks for listening. Look forward to you listening to us again. Thanks very much indeed to Joanne Lockwood. It's been my absolute pleasure to be with you this morning. Thank you. Thanks, Kate. It's been good. Thank you. Thank you.